Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined with Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera. He's also been contributing to BuffStampede.com here. Brian, a uh, crazy six weeks since we last saw each other. Yeah, it has been. Uh, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you since then, but yeah, a lot's gone on. And, you know, uh, I think the last time we saw each other was Pro Day. And yep. we actually, uh, we did a podcast and we went to lunch um, and then went to Pro Day. And then after that, everything shut down yeah. literally the next day. So um, even during that podcast, they that was when yeah. you announced they were going to online classes and it that Wednesday, I think it was March 11th. Yeah, you're right. It yeah. just it kind of hit the fan. Yeah. And it felt weird sort of doing that podcast, a spring preview, because we were like, well, <laughs> we don't know if spring is going to happen. And then sure enough, uh, I mean, it was weird being a pro day, um, you know, just there was a lot of like, you'd go up and say hi to somebody and, and you go shake their hand like, Oh wait, maybe a fist bump is better right here. Uh, so it was just kind of starting to be a thing. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it, it, it switched. And so it, it's been a weird six weeks and um, really haven't seen, literally have not seen anybody on the beat since then. I've always been a fan of the fist bump. If we can maybe take one positive from this <laughs> pandemic, maybe we could just go to that going forward. I feel right. like maybe that'll be the, the, the go-to thing now. Yeah, so you recently had a chance to chat with Carl Durrell. Uh, I think you're working on a preview magazine. We've had a chance to to chat with him a few times, not a whole lot. Really, aside from the intro press conference, we have not been around him. What was kind of the, what was the general takeaway you had from that interview? Yeah, you know, it was good as for, I've been doing the preview for Athlon Magazine the past several years. And um, really, up until that point, my only, I guess, one-on-one time with him was about a 10-minute phone call. So it was good. Uh, chat with him about 30 minutes or so and really kind of go over the whole team. And I let him know, say, Hey, I'm doing this for Athlon, but I'm going to use this for the daily camera as well. And so I didn't want to make it. So it was just for that, but um, yeah, he's definitely got a plan. They know what they want to do offensively, defensively. Um, He did tell me, he said, Hey, you never go into a season saying this is our playbook and this is what we're going to run because you have to evaluate things off your, who your personnel is and, and tweak things. So he's, he said, we basically have a blueprint, and then we'll take that blueprint once we get on the field and tweak it a little bit. And I asked him, uh, I said, do you have time to tweak, you know, with not having spring ball? Uh, you know, because I, I brought up to him, uh, my first ever conversation with Jim Levitt was after Jim's first spring. And, uh, you know, I chatted with him. Um, it was over the summer, and Jim said, well, I learned a lot in the spring what we can't do. And so now in the summer, I'm revamping the defense so uh, we know what we can do in the fall. Well, Carl and his staff doesn't have that luxury right now. And he said, that's okay. We'll be able to tweak things based off the plan we have. It certainly helps that the coordinators are back. Yeah, with Tyson Summers, I don't feel like there's going to be a whole lot changing defensively. You ran a story right. on our side about the star position is going to still be called the star. And that was a selling point to keep Tyson Summers was to have that continuity offensively. I still don't know if I have a strong feeling for how this offense is going to look. It's going to definitely have spread concepts. It's not going to be a straight up air raid offense, but yeah, I still don't quite have a, you know, a grasp of what, what that offense is going to look like. I don't either. Even after that conversation with him, um, just, I, I think it's going to be very multiple. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that want to do kind of what the new England Patriots do, which is, they've been masters at, okay, this week to beat the Tennessee Titans, we've got to do this. This week to beat the Miami Dolphins, we've got to do this. And, and their offense looks different from week to week sometimes. 
that's, I think, what they want to do. Um, Carl mentioned to me um, they've got a lot of experience. He's been in uh, the Shanahan offense. He's been in the New England system. Uh, he's been in lots of different offenses. Shiverini has air raid concepts. Then you have uh, uh, Danny Langsdorf, who's got a lot of experience. So he's trying to mesh all of that into you know, what he hopes is a good concept. Now, one thing we can tell is the tight ends are going to be involved. Uh, they've got a lot of tight ends. They've added three walk-on tight ends in the last month or so. That's by design, and the tight ends are going to be very heavily involved. That is a Darrell influence, and he told me uh, flat out, he said, you can see right there my influence on the offense is with those tight ends. That kind of segues me into the next topic here. Taylor Embry, one of the, I guess, the most inexperienced guy coming on staff. He brings in, not earth-shattering news, but he brings in three quality walk-ons at that position, uh, two of which will definitely be eligible. The other is is hoping for that ruling to come down from the NCAA, which I don't even know if that's going to happen for the upcoming season, but he's hopeful that he's going to play. But anyway, I've been impressed with his energy early on, obviously, you can't have firm impressions based on recruiting right now because they can't get kids on campus. They're not going to get yeah. commits right now. But Taylor Embry, Mitch Rotary, another guy that maybe fans question the hire there. Those guys have been working pretty hard during this quarantine situation in terms of recruiting. Demetrius Martin had a great uh, reputation as a recruiter coming on, and he's done a good job in that sense. And even Chris, Chris Wilson's been pretty active with offers. What would have been your impressions of those assistants, even though – Again, there's not a whole lot to, to base this evaluation off of so far. Yeah, I, I would kind of you know, list those same guys you did. And Taylor, um, he's the one, I, I guess, of all of them, you look at him and say, okay, he's the least experienced. He hasn't been in college. Can he recruit? Well, I guess what we're looking at so far is, yes, he can. And I think, uh, you know, John Embry, for all of his faults, he did bring in some good recruits, and he did know how to recruit a little bit. And so maybe some of that has rubbed off on Taylor. Uh, but, you know, the tight end position, they've got some good guys they're after. They've brought in three pretty good, what, what look like pretty good uh, walk-on transfers here. Um, you know, Mitch Rodriguez has been very busy. There's been a lot of offensive linemen that he's offered, and uh, none really in the state, but uh, there's been a lot in the south, and he's using those pipelines. And, um, you know, he's that's a position they obviously have to recruit. I mean, he's one of the most important. I don't know if he's one of the most important recruiters, but that position has got to be most most recruited. Um, so I, I like what they've done so far. I mean, they're limited, obviously, but I like what they've done. One guy I don't envy right now is Drew Wilson. He's got the task of trying to keep this football yeah. team in shape. And I don't know realist, what realistic expectations are with that, but we know that he's working hard, uh, sending out personalized videos based on what equipment guys have or don't have. I think you had a chance to chat with him briefly recently, correct? Yeah, a few weeks ago, I chatted with him, and you know, it basically the same thing. I mean, he's just like, well, it's it's not ideal, but um, he has basically talked to every player on the team and found out what do you have at your home, and then what is near you that you have access to. And so uh, he was kind of joke with me, but it's serious that like for some, it's can you bench press a sibling, <laughs> you know, and it's. You know, so this is when every CU football player could use a great Dane <laughs> in their, their family, right? Right. And, but real, realistically, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a lineman or whatever, and you've got a, a brother that's in eighth grade or whatever, can you bench press him? Um, do you have a tree? Uh, he's told guys, do you have a tree near your house that's got sort of a flat uh, branch that you can grab and do pull-ups on, you know, because he doesn't want them just doing push-ups. He wants some of that pull as well. Uh, uh, you know, Carson Wells, he told me, is uh, down there at his ranch in, uh, in Florida doing 
work with cattle. He goes, I'm not worried about him. He's, he's farm strong. Uh, so no, but he's basically talked to everybody, found out what do you have? And he said, there's a handful of guys that actually have access to a gym. Um, I do know that like Tyler Lytle um, has actually been out throwing with other quarterbacks and, um, you know, working out in California, uh, you know, with a private coach and you, know, you can socially distance that way a little bit. So uh, he's been doing a little bit of that, but um, yeah, just finding out whatever these guys can do and it's not ideal, but uh, making the best, the best. Now, one of the things he did say to me, I asked him, um, how long do you need to get these guys ready once you get them back? And he said, not very long because their bodies, they're young. I feel like he feels like they can bounce back in a couple of weeks. And our guy, James Stefano, is out there kicking balls over trees. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So just finding out whatever you can, whatever you can, and just uh, just use that. So you know, credit James Stefano. Looking good, by the way. Hard to have expectations for when they'll be back on campus. We could probably spend an hour kind of analyzing different possibilities. Probably a waste of time. I guess real quick, yeah. though, do you, do you have a sense? It's hard to believe that the college football season will start on time and be and look the same that it normally does. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I try to be optimistic about these things, but, you know, my feeling is, is that until the government and the public health officials say it's okay and schools open up, then nothing's going to happen. I mean, I, I just can't see the college football season happening. I don't think we're going to be at camp on August 1st. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I can't imagine. I don't even know if we'll be in camp November 1st. I mean, will basketball season start on time? You know, I have no idea what this is going to look like, how this is, how this is going to go. There's been so many scenarios thrown out. Uh, it sounds to me like one of the more popular ones is starting around January 1st and, and having sort of spring football, which will be really weird. And uh, it'll be interesting because if you have a guy – this is another topic, I guess, Adam, but if you have a guy like LaVisca Chenault, right, last year, if there's no season and they go to start January 1st, but the draft is still in April, do guys like LaVisca play, you know, knowing that – you know, hey, why would I play right now when I can get, I'm going to get drafted in three months? So it'll be interesting to see what happens with all this. Yeah. Rick George, Carl Jarrell, Tad Boyle, Jarrah Payne, all going to take a pay cut, a 10% pay cut. Other campus leaders are going to take a pay cut as well. And then the remaining head coaches are going to take a 5% pay cut. Rick George has been on some conference calls with the media, and he said they're really trying to prepare for everything at this point. So, uh, again, it's hard to predict exactly what, it's gonna, what the impacts are going to be on CU financially. Yeah, it really is. Um, we know, you know, not having those concerts, uh, the uh, Denton Company this summer, if they can't reschedule those, that's a big financial hit uh, to the athletic department. That's a couple million dollars in revenue. Uh, not having the camps, uh, Rick George mentioned to us, that's not a huge thing, but it's still something. Uh, and for like soccer coach Danny Sanchez, uh, that's, a, that's part of the income, right? And some of those assistant coaches, that's part of the income. So um, it is hard to know what it's going to look like because Without fans in the stands and without football, uh, this is going to get real serious real quick because um, you start to wonder if, you know, a 10% pay cut, you know, that's significant for no matter uh, who you are. But if there's no football, we're going to start looking at, you know, does cross country get cut? You know, does, you know, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of sports, but does soccer get cut? things like that. Uh, we're starting to look at uh, maybe sports getting cut, and that's going to be significant. You mentioned LaVisca Chenault. I don't think we should spend a ton of time on the NFL draft just because by the time some people consume this, it's going to be kind of outdated. We don't necessarily know right. where all these guys go. We do know that LaVisca Chenault was not a first-round pick. We had kind of 
assume that was going to be the case here recently. Uh, I think had he had a really good performance at the combine, not needed that core surgery, he probably would have been a first round pick. There's no question he's a first yeah. round talent. Uh, it's going to be interesting to compare his career with some of those receivers that went in the first round that were, are really good players, but LaVisca's just as good or maybe better. Yeah. And I think, Right away, the initial comparisons is going to be Brandon Ayuk, uh, who was you know the Pac-12 guy. Um, you know, with Lavisca, I'm torn on him because he is a first-round talent. But um, if I'm an NFL GM, I'd be a little nervous about him. Uh, you know, I love the kid. I think he's a fantastic talent. But um, he's played two years basically of college football. That first year, he didn't really play. Uh, play basically played two years. He didn't play a full season either time, um, and was banged up. And he's had a lot of injuries goes to the combine and gets hurt. That's not a good sign. Um, frankly, I was surprised he didn't get that core injury, uh, that surgery right after the season. Um, I thought it, hindsight's twenty twenty, but that might have been the best course of action for him to be ready for that combine because even with the injury history, if he has a, a really good combine, he probably goes in the first round, right? Yeah. Uh, but that injury history, you know, I, I would shy away from him a little bit. I'd be a little nervous about him. I'd take a chance on him in the second or third round, but as a first round pick, um, it, it doesn't surprise me that he didn't go in the first round. That's about it for current events. Obviously, not a whole lot going in the sport going yeah. on in the sports world right now. So that'd be fun to kind of take a trip down memory lane. Memory lane. You spent a lot of time on the men's basketball beat. You've been on the football yeah. beat for a long time now. So we're going to run through some different topics and, and try to have some fun with this. The first one on here are the three games we most enjoy covering during our time on the beat. Again, it could be football or men's basketball. Maybe yeah. go, maybe go reverse order from three to one. What, what's the, what's the third most enjoyable game you've covered on the beat? Yeah, it was tough. Cause there's, even though the football hasn't been great in the 10 years that I've covered, uh, there's been some, a lot of good games and, and basketball and, and things like that. But uh, my number three, it's, it's sort of a tie. Can I, can I do that? Sure. Okay, I don't know if I want to break your rules, but uh, um, sort of that that 2018 game, CU versus CSU, I thought was a lot of fun. That was LaVisca's breakout game. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But really, I guess if I had to go with one of them for number three, it'd be that Utah game in 2016, Utah CU for the Pac-12 title. Uh, that was that was a blast. I mean, that was the first time we've ever been a part of something like that. Uh, at least I have. Uh, you know, seeing seeing them win that conference title or that division title but i would go number three there that was actually my number two cu's win over utah and boulder in 2016 and i did a throwback thursday feature talk with cephal lufau and i hadn't forgotten about it but it kind of brought back the memory of cheeto bay awuzie's play where he chased down yeah. kyle folks on the kickoff coverage that's right the defense yeah. goes out there holds utah to a field goal and that to me was kind of a microcosm of that team and that whole season and their leadership and their never give up attitude. Uh, Kenneth Olabode, late scoop and score. He was a guy that was kind of maligned earlier in his career to have a big moment. Pope Lindsay has the game winning or game clinching first down on third down that run. Just so many memorable moments there. And then, you know, we're booking travel to go cover the Pac-12 championship game after that. Right. Who, who thought that was even a possibility going into that season? So that's definitely high up on my list at number two for me. Yeah, that, that was uh... – that was a fun game, and certainly uh, you know, it was hard to go beyond 2016 when looking at the best games for football. But, uh, but yeah, uh, that Utah game was number three for me. Should we go number two? I guess I still have to do my number three, which okay. yeah, number three. is CU beats third-ranked Oklahoma in 2007. 
the Buffs won just four of their first 16 games under Dan Hawkins. And we know what happened the final three years of his tenure. We don't have to hash <laughs> over that. But that right. 2007 season, and that win specifically, created a lot of excitement. It really jumped their recruiting efforts up to another level. I know that class didn't pan out in 2008, but it was ranked 15th in the country. And that win over OU was a big part of that. CU doesn't go to a bowl game in 2007 without that win. They, they were 6-6 six and six and went out to, to Shreveport to play Alabama. So that one snuck in there. I know some fans probably don't want a Dan Hawkins era win on my list, but that, that was a fun day at Folsom Field. Yeah, I, I unfortunately was not there for that one. I, I came on the beat three years later, Hawkins last year. Well, one thing I'll say about Dan Hawkins is I know he's not loved in Boulder, um, and you know his tenure was not overall great, but I will say this. His teams were competitive, and he did provide some pretty good moments. I mean, there was that game. There was the one against West Virginia. Uh, that game against Georgia, I thought, in 2010, uh, was a really good game. That that one I kind of considered for this top three list as well. So Hawkins at least provided uh, some competitive teams that would upset a team now and then. By simply having this game on my list, I've already said more than more nice things about Dan Hawkins today than I'm willing to. <laughs> so move along. What's, what's your Let's number two? <laughs> number two, I'm going to go basketball, and I'm going to go the Kansas game in 2013, December of 2013. Obviously, Askia Booker hits the game winner. Um, but I mean, that's what we remember from that game. But that was such a fantastic basketball game. Um, I'll always remember, uh, you know, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie played well. Ben Mills actually came in and, uh, and had a couple baskets and got the crowd going a little bit. And, uh, but certainly that shot from uh, Askia, that was, that was a pretty fantastic moment. And the fans almost injured him afterwards in the celebration. <laughs> yeah, his shoulder, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. Came, in, came into the post-game press conference holding yeah. his shoulder with an ice bag over it. <laughs> Oh, great. Costly win here. But that, that was such a fun basketball game. And uh, there's been a lot of great moments in a tad. But for me, uh, that was the best one. All right. Well, I already gave my number two. Uh, your number one, I'm curious to see if it's the same as mine. Well, for me, it was the CU at Oregon game in 2016. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, I know that there were bigger games and Oregon was not very good that year. But that was the game that really signaled that this team was was really good. And, uh, you know, to me, that Oregon team is not that bad if CU doesn't win that game. You know, I think if Oregon wins that game, they go on, they're a pretty good team. Um, so I think for what that meant for that CU team, for this program, and really just the moments, the Bryce Bobo catch, the way Steven Montez played in that game, uh, you know, the Akella Witherspoon interception, the Devin Ross catch yeah. was pretty uh, fantastic as well. And then, of course, Stephen Montez's post-game press conference was uh, was an all-timer as well. The da na 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 na. So you know that that was for me the best one. Yeah, there's so many times I've wondered since that season if they lose that game in, in Eugene, how does the rest of the season play out? Now there's enough. There was a lot of talent on that football team, you know, but four guys in the secondary they're in the NFL now. Philip Lindsay and the list goes on, but they're not winning the South without that win that's for sure and yeah. i don't know they're probably a eight win team that year seven win team if, if they don't win that game i feel like that really yeah i agree to, yeah. to your point kind of propelled their confidence level to a different level that we honestly hadn't haven't seen uh, since yeah and i think you know who knows what happens but i agree with you i think if they lose that game maybe they win seven games and, and go to a bowl game and it's still a good season um i think if if oregon wins that game 
the Ducks are probably an eight and four, seven five type team, and and uh, and they don't have that that drop off that they had. So that's just my opinion. Um, I think that, that was. I remember, always remember Mark Helfrich afterwards. Uh, he said it was like a train, a defining moment for both programs. Yeah. All right. What about the flip side of it? The least favorite game you've ever covered <laughs> on the CUB. And I think, again, I think this might be the same for both of us. We'll see. <laughs> I'm sticking with the 2016 season. Um, really? Okay. Well, I don't know. Pac-12 championship game? Is that where you're going? Well, Alamo I was going to say Alamo Bowl just because, you know, I mean, the, the the coverage of it was fun. I mean, the whole week was fun, but the game itself was a stinker. But maybe the least favorite was maybe that Kansas game in 2010. I mean, that was that was such a, a stinker of a game. <laughs> you know, and the Buffs were buffs up by, you know, 28 in the fourth quarter and lose. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, for Buff fans, maybe that was a good game because that's the one that got Dan Hawkins out of town. But, uh, you know, maybe that Kansas game. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I would I picked CU's overtime loss to Oregon State at Folsom Field yeah. in 2018 because at that point the Buffs are five and two that would have clinched bowl eligibility. I really do think if they beat Oregon State there, they don't have the collapse quite to the extent that that it happened, and they beat Arizona and or Cal down the stretch. They could have gone seven and five, possibly eight and four that season if not for that collapse. Uh, you know, the 2018 KU game, I mean, Dan Hawkins was going to be fired after that season anyway. Uh, so that's what put that over the top for me. Right. In terms of the Alamo Bowl Pac-12 championship game, very disappointing results. But at that point, on some level, CU was almost playing with house money that season. Um, I, right. Going back to yeah. the Oregon State loss, remember being in the press box before that game and we're breaking down bowl games. So I mean, it was a foregone conclusion at that point that CU was going to a bowl game that season. And we're trying to break down all the matchups about where we might possibly get to, you know, spend a week that winter. Right. Well, I remember speaking to that uh, before the game, I sat with the two reps from the Sun Bowl, um, you know, down in El Paso and uh, did an interview with them and they were talking about, um, how much it would mean to them to get CU down there because of Steven Montez and you know, his, how much of a hero he is in El Paso. And I, I'll always remember this guy's comment. He says, I just don't know if CU is going to fall to us, you know, <laughs> and then CU didn't even make a bowl game, you know? So, uh, I mean, they were, they were so, I mean, they were so excited to, to potentially get CU because of Steven Montez and, uh, and then it didn't even happen. But um, it, it's kind of sad that there's so many options here we have for this least favorite game, but um, you're kind of swaying me here and that might be it because of what it meant. And I think that changed the course of this program uh, maybe more than, than some of those other ones, you know, uh, that was, that was a pretty bad game. I didn't cover this game. I believe you did men's basketball. Would it be the loss to Pittsburgh, the just embarrassing loss in the tournament? Is there one you could think <laughs> of that would top that? No, that was ugly. I mean, that was, that was another one where I was really excited to finally be covering the NCAA tournament and thinking about, you know, how much fun this weekend's going to be. And then five minutes in, I'm thinking, well, this sucks. <laughs> I'm going to go home after this. So uh, that, that was a pretty bad game. I mean, I think as far as a game that wasn't as ugly, but that changed the course of the program was earlier that season when Spencer got hurt. You know, and that was a surreal one to be at uh, up in Seattle. Didn't Trayshawn uh, Fletcher or somebody else injure their knee in that game too? Trayshawn Fletcher tweaked his knee. Um, I think he, 
I don't think he missed games initially, but he, I think he later did. But that floor was like a skating rink, and you know Spencer just he was coming down the coming down the court and and just awkwardly slipped, no contact or anything like that. And uh, that was a that was a bad one as far as what it meant to the program. You just said awkwardly. We're going to get back to some positive topics here, but just awkward moments on the beat. What do you have there? Well, there's no question what it is for me, and it's men's basketball. And uh, I was just starting off uh, covering CU. It was my first year, Tad Boyle's first year. Um, I don't know if you were there or not, but um, you know, that was that the, the last year of the Big 12 and Alec Burks and all those guys. And uh, they were so sure they were going to the NCAA tournament. And Tad hosted everybody at his house. Were you there? Yeah, I was and, there. Uh, I just remember being, being at the house and watching everything go through. And there was so, I don't know how many people were there, but there was all the athletic department people, all the media, TV cameras, everything, just waiting for the reaction to see you. And as they went through each quadrant and you get into the last one, you're like, oh no. <laughs> and when CU wasn't there, just that was one of our awkward moments is having to do interviews with those guys, not making the tournament when they expected it. Yeah, most of my awkward moments come from press conferences. Obviously, the top of that list yeah. is John Embry's press conference after he gets fired. And I don't put that on John Embry at all. He's yeah. He just had his heart ripped out. This is a dream job for him. It's only two years in. He feels like he deserves more time. He's got his players in there, former buffs scattered throughout the, the, the press seating. And that's on Mike Bowen. For, that, that was the worst idea I think I've – seen actually come out in my entire life it was just a bad deal there yeah and then uh, Mike Bone had Dan Hawkins do a press conference as well and that wasn't uh that wasn't a whole lot less awkward uh, when, when Hawkins did that and, and Bone's outgoing presser was a little uh interesting as well so a lot of Bone pressers there uh, but uh you know going with press conferences it might be you know that Utah game in 2018 when McIntyre comes up there and you know you just kind of knew this is the end here. And this is a guy clawing and scraping either for his job or, or to get another job. I mean, he got weird at the end. The Buffalo painting on the, the Tuesday press luncheon. Is that what you're talking about? How the uh, no. Buffalo walks into the storm? Well, that was before that, but I mean, I'm talking about the post game presser after that, that Utah snow game. Oh yeah. And just, and I remember asking him, is, do you feel like you, this might've been your last game? And he said, no, this wasn't my last game. And, and just, you kind of knew, but yeah, certainly the, the picture, <laughs> the Buffalo picture, uh, McIntyre had some moments there at the end. Props at a press conference if you're a football coach. Never a good idea. <laughs> advise, sure. advise against that strongly. That's right. Let's get back to a positive topic. Favorite three players that you've enjoyed interviewing at CU? Again, football, basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm going to stick with football on all three, but there's a lot of honorable mentions because there's been a lot of really good ones. But um, I go Sefo Lufau, Philip Lindsay, and Steven Montez. I mean, for me – those three, uh, three of my favorite guys I've covered, um, always real personable, always real good with me. Um, and I think really good with most of the media, uh, you know, always, you know, gracious with their time. If I threw out another one, a ski of Booker, I know he was strange, uh, to some people and, uh, you know, people who loved him or hate him. I always had a really good relationship with him and I, and I enjoy talking to him quite a bit. And, um, so, you know, those are probably the four, the three being those football players though. Yeah, I had a tough time narrowing it down to three guys. Philip Lindsay was on mine as well. Obviously, his passion, you could just see it every time you talk to him. It, he didn't ever seem to have a bad day up at CU. It was always uh, very energetic and, and positive. Yeah. Right before you were on the beat, but George Hippolyte, 
you could talk to him about literally anything. It could be current events in the world and he'd have an opinion and it's no surprise that he's a lawyer now. Just unbelievable. For fans that don't know this, the rabid goldfish nickname, he absolutely hated that. But uh, <laughs> I felt bad for him getting stuck with a nickname he didn't like, but he, he was great uh, for media. And then Scotty McKnight, who's obviously gone on to be successful in life and was just, uh, you could talk to him about anything as well. Just always really personable. I mean, there's just so many guys. Uh, James Stefano, we both love talking to him. Mikel yeah, Onu this last year was incredible. He was really insightful. Uh, Tony Clemens back in the day, Tyler Hansen, Steve Amontes definitely on my list if it was going to keep going here. Ben Burney, Ryan Miller, and even Cody Hawkins was awesome. You know, we yeah. – Sometimes as media members, one of your colleagues especially had a lot of issues with, with Dan Hawkins, but Cody was a pleasure to, to interview and, with, and deal with during his career. It's, it's unfortunate that, you know, he kind of gets lumped in with his dad with some of the negativity. Yeah, and actually, you know, we mentioned the Hawkins press conference earlier, but um, Cody came up at the end of that, and um, Cody handled it really well. You know, if you remember that, when Hawkins was yeah. fired, and, um, you know, Cody, you know, he was really good to work with, and and, uh, and and really good kid, and I, he deserved better. That's that's for sure. But James Stefano certainly on this current team, he's got to be at the top of the list. You know, Dave Platty always does the uh, best interview award, and if there's a season, you know, I think James Stefano. Um, I don't know if a kicker can get it because we're not going to talk to him a whole lot, but uh, you know, he could be in the running for that. We'd have to lobby pretty hard. We have to get votes on our side, I think, for that one to win. <laughs> I think we have some poll over there. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Basketball-wise, I would probably go Spencer Dinwiddie because not only was he really yeah. smart, but yeah, he could give he could create some controversy. You know, referring to CSU as little brother, and even Tad just he was such a good player that even Tad wouldn't step in to try to get him to stop saying certain things. Well, I think Tad liked some of it, you know, because uh, because Spencer was one that would back it up. You know, when he would call CSU little brother, he would then go in. And, and score 30 points and lead him to a win. So if he didn't do that, if he called him little brother and then had 12 points and a loss, I think Tad might have stepped in a little bit. Do you have a favorite assistant coach you've interviewed over the years at CU? You know, I was thinking about that. And, you know, one of my favorites is actually, I know he's not a fan favorite, but Clayton Adams was one of my favorite people uh, to cover. And, you know, part of it is I had a chance at the Casati Classic, Dave Platty's tournament. Um, I was partnered with Clayton. And that was the funnest round of golf I've ever had. And uh, just, you know, 18 holes with him. He was a lot of fun. I really got along with him. I thought he was a good guy um, and not as bad of a coach as, uh, as people want to, as fans like to, like to, you know, say about him. But he, he was a good guy. And Chivarini, of course, is right up there. But there's a lot of them. I mean, you can go basketball. All the basketball assistants have been great to talk to, you know, from Rodney Billups to uh, Mike Roan. You know, all those guys, uh, you know, have been really good as well. Coach Cap is my guy, and it's close, though, because yeah. there's a lot of guys. I love that after you were interviewing him, he would then take a minute to kind of expound on certain things. And not that you were going to necessarily write on that stuff. And it wasn't throwing players under the bus or anything like that, but it was just a real yeah. honest assessment of his unit, which you always appreciate getting. But we've been lucky. I mean, you even look at all the guys that got retained by Carl Durrell Shev. Darren Hagen's good when you can get him. Tyson Summers, uh, he's got that kind of defensive coordinator edge that you kind of need. But with the media, uh, he will expound on things. And, and Brian Michalowski is good as well. So uh, we're lucky those guys are, are back on staff. We'll, we'll see how the rest of these guys. I mean, there really haven't been – Clayton Adams, you mentioned he was awesome. 
it's unfortunate that his own line groups didn't perform better because he obviously drew the ire of the, the fan base. It's hard to think of one that was really bad. I would Jim Levitt was very challenging, though. It, if yeah. you wanted to get him, you weren't going to get the head coach. You weren't going to get any players or anybody else because you had to walk with him up the hill after right. practice because he didn't want to waste any more time of his day on, on media. So he was a little challenging in that regard. Ron Collins can bear a couple of former defense coordinators that were kind of rough around the edges as well, too. Maybe it's just a defensive coordinator thing. I don't know. Well, and if you're Ryan Koningsberg, you have to sit in the river with that's uh, true. Jim but that took so. that took coaxing to get Jim yeah. Levitt to do that. Of course, when the camera turned on, <laughs> yeah. he was great. He was always great when the camera was on. And he yeah. wasn't yeah. a jerk, but he was I don't know what what's the right word to describe Jim Levitt? I- intense and uh, maybe not the best team player yeah, in terms of a coach. Yeah, um, intense. And he, he had his way, and that was that was the way. You know, um, you know one of my one of my best interviews, or my favorite interviews with Jim Levitt was after he left, and uh, it was uh, that 2016 season. And um, as soon as he had left, I had contacted him uh, through direct message on Twitter and said, "I'd love to do an interview with you if you want to. I understand if you don't." And uh, you know, a couple weeks later, I'm with my family in Minnesota right before Christmas, before coming back for bowl practices. And uh, I get a message from Jim Levitt that said, hey, I'm available tonight. This is like two weeks after I sent the message. He goes, you can call me tonight. And so <laughs> there I was in my in-laws house in Minnesota and call and chat with him for 30 minutes. And, um, you know, he was a great interview and uh, you know, had good things to say about CU, but, you know, his opportunity. But, you know, certainly post-practice, that was a tough one because you're right. That was the only person you were going to get. Yeah. And I don't know if it was the greatest look after he took the Oregon job, he came back the next Memorial Day, ran the Boulder Boulder with Oregon gear, thrown up the Ducks O in Folsom yeah. Field. I don't know if that was the best look for him either. <laughs> but that's Jim Levitt. You know, uh, Jim Levitt doesn't care, and, you know, it's his way. Yeah. A few more topics here, kind of going uh, to some different positive things we've experienced over the years. What, what are your favorite three Pac-12 road trips? Rank them uh, from th- three to one. Okay, um, I'll go. Number three might be a little surprising. I, I like Tucson, you know, and I know, I know, but uh, I I like to go hiking. There's some cool hiking areas out, down there. Um, you know, I took my son on that on uh, Arizona trip a few years ago, and we went down to Tucson, uh, went a little farther south to Tombstone, and and did all that. And so I just kind of like the area out there and hiking and and things like that. So I'd go Tucson. You okay. being an Arizona guy, I know you're an Arizona State guy. You're a little biased against Tucson, I'm sure. My love for ASU is kind of gone, but my hatred for U of A, it still, it still exists. Still <laughs> I mean, there, there is good Mexican food down there. They've got an ostrich ranch you can hang out at. So there's, it's not all bad. Yeah, I, fantastic pizza place down there as well. Yeah. My two <laughs> and three are kind of together. And you're going to see kind of a common theme with my favorite Pac-12 road trips. And Three and two are Cal and Stanford. I love the Bay Area. Try to stay in San Francisco, whether they're playing Cal or Stanford. Get great seafood. You can go for a run along the boardwalk. You know, we don't have a ton of times on these trips, but you try to fly out maybe Friday morning to get a little bit of time in there. You fly back Sunday. So, you know, certain cities you might want to spend more time in, but San Francisco is perfect for just a couple of days to get your fix of seafood. And usually the weather, it could be overcast at times, but usually it's generally pretty mild there. So those two for me are, are in the top three. Yeah. You know, I'd put the Bay area, you know, right there as well. Um, I love the Bay area and love, love, you know, the seafood and all that stuff. So um, for me, number two, I'm going to stick sort of that uh, Northwest, that seafood theme. 
and uh, Seattle. I love, you know, I love going to Seattle. Uh, you know, love the seafood there. Um, I've actually brought my uh, fishing gear with me, and uh, you know, you caught an octopus there, Friday right? Morning and spent a day fishing. Uh, caught a squid. Squid. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, I actually went salmon fishing throughout the throughout that Friday. Didn't catch anything. So then I'm walking along the pier that night and see all these people fishing and um, asked them what they were fishing for. They said squid. And uh, I was like, really? And they said, yeah, try it. And so they had me uh, try it. So I tried it for a minute. Like, no, you got to stay until you catch one. And so um, actually caught a squid and, um, you know, they're, they're not huge, but they're, they said it was the biggest one that they had caught all night. So um, I was happy to provide them some extra food. Uh, they kept them all, they keep them all in, uh, you know, they can keep like 50 pounds of squid and uh, they make stuffed squid and things like that in calamari. So um, I love Seattle. It was just, I love being in the Pacific Northwest. That's actually my number one for a lot of the same yeah. reasons. Yeah. Th- some of the best seafood I've ever had there, there's shrimp cocktails, you know, it's bigger than anywhere else it seems and clam chowder. Yeah. And the Pike's Place Market is just kind of a cool place to mull around. And so that's definitely, and even the stadium, you know, it's not anything groundbreaking in terms of the press box or anything, but just to look, kind of yeah. look out and see people tailgating on, on the water out there is pretty cool. And so that's number one for me. What's your number one? My number one, is, um, it's going to be just the state of Oregon, um, you know, Oregon, Oregon state. I love going to Oregon, uh, for a lot of the same reasons, the seafood, all that stuff. We clearly don't have great seafood here in Colorado because we love going up there to get it. But, uh, you know, I, I love the state of Oregon. I mean, just the combination of uh, the ocean and the mountains and things like that. Uh, it's a lot like Seattle. I mean, Seattle or Washington, Oregon, a lot of the same. But um, anytime I get to go to that area up there, I love it. And the worst Pac-12 road trip, I already know we're in agreement here because I, I heard certain words come out of your mouth the last time we were there. Los Angeles? Oh, no. See, I was going to go Pullman. Oh, Pullman, yeah. I, I'll take Pullman over Los Angeles. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, the traffic yeah. or what, what, what don't you like? Yeah. I hate the traffic. It's, it's just the word. I mean, there's some fun things to do in LA and I'm sure if you're from there, I don't mean to put it, put that down. I, I apologize, but I just hate getting anywhere, you know? And it's just, uh, there was one time I, I was out, I think it was for Pac-12 media day. And I thought I'm going to go to the Dodger game tonight. Well, it took me like two hours to get from the airport to the hotel. I was like, all right, forget the Dodger game, you know, and you just kind of scrap your plans because it's just, you know, it's, it's a pain, but Pullman, it's not the prettiest place. I don't mind the drive. I'll take Pullman over Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. I have the Los Angeles schools low on my list too, but until Pullman gets, gets a beach, they're, they're, they're at the bottom. (laughs) All right. So, so what is the, you hate about Pullman? Just no beach? The, the weather's usually pretty miserable there. It's hard to yeah. get there. There's not a lot of scenery, uh, you know, on the way there. Spokane's actually not a bad city, but the last time we were there, it was just miserable. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if, if the weather is nice there, it's not quite as brutal, but it's just a little bit harder to get to. Uh, next to last on my list was Oregon State. Corvallis just doesn't do, do a whole lot for me, although I do yeah. – love staying in Portland, have family there. So that's always, it's good from that aspect of it, but the actual college town, I'm not a huge fan of who, who has yeah, the best. So go ahead. We, we were there in Pullman together, obviously this last season and um, you know, made that trip, a little snow on that trip, but certainly I will say Pullman has been the worst place for Colorado in the, uh, in the times I've been there. I've never seen CU play well in Pullman. I'm talking about men's basketball and football. They've always just been ugly games and, uh, 
you know, so I think if you're CU, that's maybe the worst place. But as far as a place to visit, it's okay. Yeah, and probably the most awkward post-game setup, they have you talk to the coach in this completely dark weight room, and there's no chairs for us, but they do put up a table for the head coach to sit there with lights on him. It's like you're doing an interrogation because you have to stand over him. And like you said, they they played horribly. Uh, Mel Tucker, uh, you know, felt bad for the guy. We're standing there hammering them, maybe CU fans. We'll never feel bad for him again, but that was a, that was an awkward setup. Well, I would say going back to all the awkward moments, one of the most awkward moments I had was uh, two years before that uh, with Mike McIntyre. I was the only reporter there in that setup. So if you can imagine, I had gone back towards the locker room with Curtis Snyder uh, to find out if there's any players available. As we got back there, uh, McIntyre was ready. So me, Curtis, and McIntyre walked together that long walk from the locker room to the uh, weight room for the press conference. We're walking all that way just for me to talk to him, <laughs> you know. And so there was silence that whole way. And if, I don't know if fans remember the game, but that was one where Steven Montez get pulled at half. Uh, it was just horrible. And I remember asking, you know, McIntyre, you know, is there a quarterback competition? And he said, after the way he played, yes, you know. <laughs> and you know, throwing all that out there, that was a pretty awkward moment. You know, it also was an awkward moment. The post-game press conference of the UCLA game, and would that be 2017? <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> the one where he glared at me? Yeah. yeah. 100 I, times I, out of 100, Brian. The, uh, <laughs> when I asked about the, uh, the fake kick, the fake field goal with James Stefano at the end of the first half, still a dumb call. Let's have your back with quarterback that's never thrown a pass. Throw a pass to our 30-year-old kicker who's never caught a pass. And I love James Stefano. But that was not a good play call. Who has the best <laughs> press box food in the Pac-12, in your opinion? Well, I think it's hands down CU. Um, you know, I don't think anybody can match. You know, you know, CU obviously caters Bender's Bar and Grill. Uh, you know, great food there. I think so. I think CU hands down. But if you had to go somewhere else, I, I think it's kind of a toss-up. I might go Oregon. What do okay. you think? Yeah, Oregon is solid, but their big thing is those O cookies that yeah. I don't know. I, I could take them or leave them. They're they're kind of hard. That it's not the style of cookie I go for. But I would probably say Utah because they usually cater barbecue. Yeah, and one thing that and, and it helps me because you only get to go through it one time, and so that way you don't overeat while you're covering the game. Whereas CU, you're right, the food is great, but man, it's I put on at least five ten pounds every football season because of that. Well. It depends on what your eating habits are. If you're going to rank Utah higher, or not. because if you only, if you want that those extra trips, then Utah's got to be low on the list, right? So, you know, see, for it, me, it, that, that actually gives them a, a benefit, a positive. <laughs> see, for a big guy like me, that's kind of disappointing. You don't get, get to go back for seconds. Oregon State's kind of randomly solid too. They they've done fajitas yeah. when I've been out there. That's been pretty good. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there's any real bad ones. I mean, I, I will say. Uh, I remember on a basketball trip going to Washington and that's the only place I've ever had to, I'm not complaining here. I mean, I, we get perks, but that's the only place I've ever had to buy my drink. You know, there's usually at least like CU basketball, they don't provide food, which is fine, uh, but you get a drink, you know, there's some water or soda, um, you know, but at Washington, that was the only place in the press room. There's a, a vending machine. So you have to buy your own drink. So, you know, that was a little bit disappointing. And so I, I rank them low because of that. Yeah, it's funny. This past season, in our Tuesday press luncheons, they feed us, 
And for some reason, I have no idea, they started bringing in cucumber water for us. <laughs> and we're all kind of looking yeah. at each other like, does anybody like this? It's kind of <laughs> gross. And of course, Neil Welk says that, you know, sports writers are the only profession that will complain about free food. And he's probably right. He's probably right. But that cucumber water is not good. And I don't care if it's free or what, you know, I don't want a cucumber in my water. Exactly. I don't, there... I don't really, you know, my wife likes lemon water. I don't really care for any of that stuff, but I'll take a lemon or some citrus in there. A cucumber? No. Agreed. Are there I any bring my own water? <laughs> Are there any upcoming non-conference trips you're you're looking forward to? Florida in 2028. Okay. It's too far down the road. Uh, there's no way we're gonna, I don't think either one of us is going to be there for that game. I hope we are. But great, um, yeah. honestly, the one I'm most looking forward to is the one we may not be able to, to do, and that's Texas A&M this year. I, I'm really looking forward to um, – I hope that we go down there just because um, I've always wanted to see a game at College Station or, you know, th- those type of stadiums, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, any of those southern states. I've never been to a game down there. So um, I'm looking forward to hopefully going down to College Station. I'm randomly looking forward to 2022 at Minnesota. Just I was born yeah. there. Haven't been back in about 25 years. I know your wife's from there, so you go back there quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to that that trip here in a, a couple of years. Yeah, that's one on the list too. And, and for that reason, is uh, you know my wife uh, she loves going back to Minnesota in the fall, but it's been a long time since we've been back there uh, in the fall. So um, that's one I look forward to, just because she'd probably go with me, and uh, you'll be able to go back in the fall. So uh, that'll be a fun one as well. That's it for our topics. Brian, you hanging in there with the family? How are you guys dealing uh, with this whole pandemic? Well, we're doing some online schooling and, uh, you know, getting through that. And I know you are as well. And just waiting for uh, things to open up again. I don't know when school will start. I don't know when camp will start. Just kind of waiting. Um, I haven't shaved in a little bit. And uh, I don't know how long I'll keep that going, but it's kind of nice to not shave. Speaking and, uh, of speaking of homeschooling, I've always had a strong appreciation for teachers, but it's been multiplied during this. And trying to like learn math now is one of the most frustrating things. They they do it completely different now. Yeah, they, they do, and, and I don't understand it. I've had I've had so many of my my kids. My youngest now is starting to learn some of that. We have four kids, and uh, they'll bring me that stuff. And I'm like, why are you doing it this way? Just do it like this, <laughs> you know, and get it done in in half the time. But I guess they figured out some methods of uh, kids learn certain ways. And that's not how I learned though. <laughs> I was correcting my daughter's math homework before she submitted it last week. Yeah. And I told her to change something. And then we get the the results the next day from the teacher and she had it right. And I screwed her up. So <laughs> she's learning in spite of me at this point. Your kids need to get back to school. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in trouble if this goes on into next school year. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think we all are. Well, Brian, it was fun taking a trip down memory lane here. Hopefully the fans out there enjoyed it. Uh, Maybe we'll get together here again soon. Yeah, it might be the only way we see each other for a while. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Thanks thanks to all of you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Thanks to all of you for tuning in.